Father, we come before you today, and uh, it's just so good to sing these truths. And for many here, we know these deep down inside of us, and they mean a ton of us. I pray, Father, that as we uh, continue now to worship you, that you would not hold your mercy back from us today, as the psalmist expresses. I pray, Father, that what you have planned to be accomplished in this time today will be accomplished amongst us. I do pray that you would hurry to those of us who are struggling and help us and rescue us and deliver us. I pray, Father, for any here and all today who seek you for help that they would find in Jesus Christ their Savior. Father, I pray that you would grant in this place a love of your salvation, a recognition of your salvation, an understanding that without it we are lost and in desperate need, but with it we have life everlasting. So, Father, would you deliver? Do not delay. For your name's sake and for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter is, as I've already mentioned, just an incredible uh, historical reality. And I want us to think particularly about the personal implications of Easter today. What it means personally for us, the most significant thing that has happened in history, and I believe really it is second only to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which we are waiting for. And as I think about the resurrection, I want to think about it in terms of Romans chapter 9 and 10 this morning. And my, one of my aims in particular is to zero in on a phrase that Paul uses there where he says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It's a bit of a larger context, and if you have your Bibles, we'll read that, and I just want to read uh, that whole of that verse and verse 10 as well. So verses 9 and 10 of Romans chapter 10. And Paul says there, But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. How is one saved? Well, this portion of Scripture tells us how one is saved. And we need to think this through. We need to think it through because it's possible to believe in the resurrection and yet still remain unsaved. It's possible to believe in the facts of the resurrection and yet be an unsaved believer. It's possible to believe that there is a cure for cancer or that radiation may help your cancer, but unless you appropriate, unless you take it into yourself, it will have no effect on you. And so Paul is wanting us to hear here that it is important to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. This is a really important consideration. There are a lot of decisions that we have to make in life. And it seems like the longer we live, the more decisions we've made and the more significant many of them become. But you maybe have some that you're wrestling around with in your own head and heart even today and you think, man, I got to figure this out by the time I go back to work on Tuesday. Some there might be a little bit more, you know, you might be thinking about buying a house or you might be thinking about education or uh, finding a spouse and you got a bit of time, but it's a decision that's looming on the horizon of your life. 
There is no more important consideration or decision that you have to make than one that determines your eternal destiny, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ and your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about that today. I want us to ask, all of us, to ask ourselves, if we aren't already there, will I trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior right here, right now, today on Easter Sunday? As we think about this text, a little bit of the context for this text is uh, thinking about righteousness. Righteousness is moral perfection. It's moral goodness. It's, uh, it's moral acceptance before God. And salvation has to do with that uh, righteousness. Paul talks in the very beginning of chapter 10. He says, listen, my concern, my heart's desire, my prayer for my people is that they be saved. But it's not just a prayer for the Jewish people because a little bit later, Paul says there's no distinction between Jew or Greek meaning all humanity, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's a universal call that goes out. For all humanity, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And then a little bit uh, back in verse 11, he says, everyone who trusts in him, in Jesus Christ, will not be put to shame. Salvation is easy for us and accessible to us. This is what Paul is getting at in this text. But there's a problem. When we think about salvation and we understand that salvation is a, a universal need, we need to understand, well, what is it that we need saving from? And the Bible is pretty clear and our own sort of wrestlings in our own heart are pretty clear on that. We need saving from sin because the Bible says every one of us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of what God has required of us, of what God desires of us, of what God commands of us, which are to walk in his ways and in his commands. And so it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So sin is unrighteousness. Sin is a departure from the perfection of of God. It's rebellion against God. It's estrangement from God. It's disobedient to his command. And when we sin, there's a tension. There's a gulf that is created now between us and God. And that's because God is righteous. He's perfect. He's in every single way, in thought, intent, and motive, and deed, God is absolutely morally pure. And when we sin, we are no longer that way. And so there's a tension. And we need to be aware of that tension. And in fact, most people in the world are aware of that tension. That's why we have these attempts by, by people to achieve their own righteousness. And we call that righteousness by works. We, we do something wrong. We feel guilty about something in our hearts because we know we've lied or we know we've stolen or we know we've cheated. And so it, it troubles us. And so we try and work that off somehow. We might clean up our room for our parents. We might make a dinner for our spouse. We might... Um, help somebody that has asked for a help and it eases our conscience. We try and work off our guilt by doing various things. That's one way in which people attempt to achieve righteousness, to become back in a relationship with God. The other way is God's way. And it is simply to receive his gift of righteousness to us in Jesus Christ. See, Paul looked at people around him, and he describes this in the text here, and he says, listen, they're pursuing a righteousness of their own. It's one that's based on the law. So they have a set of things, and they say, well, if I meet that, then that means I have achieved righteousness. And that appeals to us. 
the vast majority of us, because there's a sense of accomplishment, there's a sense of pride, there's a sense of saying, I can do this, I don't need your help. We had our grandkids around for this weekend, and it's amazing to me that it starts at a very young age, and you try and help them with something. No, I can do it. And you think you can really make it easy for them, and they fight you and say, no, I want to do it by myself. And that's our same attempt at righteousness before God. God says, listen, I've done it all for you. And we say, no, I'm going to figure this out myself. I'm going to accomplish myself. So there's this sense of self-sufficiency and even pride that we have. And we think that our obedience will close the gap and bring us back into a relationship with God. But what we fail to understand is that the righteousness that God requires of us is absolute perfection from beginning to end. One failure means we have lost our ability to achieve moral perfection. There's others in this world, and it seems to be an increasing number of people. Um, we see it around us as we become less and less of a Christian world in which we live, where there is uh, no concern of righteousness at all. God is really removed from our picture of living any longer. His commandments, his standards, really have no impact on us. In fact, we don't even know about them in many uh, instances. And to this person, then, the, the work of Christ is a strange thing. The righteousness of God is a foreign a concept to them. And all this talk about salvation, well, it's really just unnecessary. I don't need to be saved. There's, there's nothing that's troubling me. There's nothing that's bothering me. There's, there's no distance that I'm aware of between me and whoever this God might be. Well, Jesus illustrated, though, the problem this way. When he was talking... Uh, when he was out for dinner, and at the dinner he was eating with people who had fallen short of the glory of God. They were sinners. And there were those who thought they were righteous who were observing this. They said, how is this possible? How is it possible that you, who claim to be perfect and sinless, will eat with those who acknowledge that they are not perfect and sinless? And Jesus' response to them, or as they asked the question of his disciples, the, they said to him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. His point was simply, if you are unaware that you are sick, you won't call for a doctor. We know that. We don't do that in ourselves. But as soon as you become aware of a problem, then you make an appointment with your doctor. If we don't know we're a sinner, if we don't know that we are in need of righteousness, we will not seek Christ. But there is an internal mechanism, and there is a physical reality that reminds all of us that there is this gap. And it is simply this, that we are all mortal. Every one of us will die. At some point, we will all die. And what is the cause of death? The cause of death is sin. We all have this mortal sickness. It's a terminal disease which all of us have, and it's in advanced stages in each one of us today. And the outcome of that is certainly death. And so we need a spiritual physician. We need one who can bring healing to our souls, who can give us what we have lost and bring us back into a relationship with God. And this is such an important issue in fact, so important that Jesus spoke about the results of, of not coming to him for help, uh, help uh, more than he talked about the benefits of those who would receive him and find eternal life in Jesus Christ. He spoke twice as often about hell as he did about heaven. And he says, left untreated, sin will separate you eternally 
from God. And so it's important that we think about righteousness. It's important that we, 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 we think about this mortal sickness that we have and this gap that exists between us and God. God provides, though, another way. And this is what Paul says. He says there is the way of righteousness of, of, of man that we choose to try and work it out and to achieve righteousness through what we do. Or there is a righteousness that we receive from God, which is based on faith. The first attempt at righteousness, which is our attempt, is attractive to us because we think, yeah, I, I, I can contribute, then I can do something for us. The second is attainable only as a free gift of God that God offers to us in Christ Jesus. The righteousness that's based on works really says, you can do it, I know you can do it, just try harder, just, just work at it. It's the Nike saying, just do it. And we think, I can do it, I just do it, I will be, achieve righteousness. But the righteousness of God, the moral perfection of God says, my only hope of righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. My hope is found in Christ alone. It tells me I can't earn it. It tells me I can't, uh, uh, I can't uh, achieve it. It just says, receive it. Just do it or just receive it. Those are the two options before us when it comes to achieving the righteousness that God expects of us. The gift that we are offered in Jesus Christ is moral perfection. And sometimes people are troubled because they think, well, I got it. Where, where do I find this? How do I, how do I achieve this moral perfection then that comes from God? I got to go find it somehow. And, and you know, we, we, we sometimes, well, if I can build a rocket and go to the corner of the universe, I might be able to find Christ and bring him back. Or if I go down in the depths of the earth, I will find Christ and bring him up. Well, this is a wonderful story of the Bible and even the resurrection that God comes to us. This is what the incarnation is all about. This is what Christmas is all about. The moral perfection of God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ when he was born in Bethlehem. And then we saw that moral perfection lived out amongst us as Jesus walked amongst us and lived perfectly. And as people looked at his life, they saw in him perfection. When people tried to accuse him of stuff, they could find nothing wrong in him. When Pilate was uh, trying to find something wrong with Jesus, three times he confesses, I find nothing wrong in this man. And then the Bible affirms his innocence again and again. He was a lamb without spot or blemish. So the moral perfection of Jesus Christ is attested all over the place. We don't have to find it. It's right before us. And not only that, it says when Christ died, he was raised from the dead. Well, why was he raised from the dead? Because death couldn't hold him. The penalty of unrighteousness was death. Because Christ was righteous, death couldn't hold him down. It had no power over him. That's why he was raised up by God. And so the Bible tells us, and then Paul says, it's near you. You don't have to go looking for the righteousness of Christ. You don't need to go hunting for the righteousness of Christ. It is right near you today. It's on the tip of your tongue. It's at the door of your heart. That is how close the moral perfection of God is to you today, which leads to salvation and a relationship with God. What God demands of us is on the tip of our tongues and at the door of our heart. How do we receive it? Well, I've read it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the tip of your tongue, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, knocking at the door of my heart, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and 
With the mouth one confesses and is saved. There's an internal conviction. That is, God is saying, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, with the heart one believes and is saved. Your heart is the core of who you are. It's what makes you think, what makes you tick, what drives you. It's your will, it's your thought, it's your actions, it's your intentions, it's you. It's inside of you. That's what your heart is. It's the core of your being. And so to believe in your heart means to infer, affirm in the deepest part of you, in the core of who you are, that something is true. And what is it that we are to believe? What is it that it says that with a heart man believes unto righteousness, believes what? Believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. Why this? Why the resurrection? This is a big book. There's a lot of things in this book. Why does Paul narrow it down and say, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Why isolate that from everything else? Well, it's because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead gives proof of everything Jesus said and everything he did. The resurrection is the summary of the life of Christ. The resurrection is the affirmation and the vindication of God on the life of Jesus. Because he was raised from the dead, everything that is said about him, Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus doing the will of the Father, Jesus living a perfect life here on earth, Jesus winning the battle over sin and death, Jesus defeating Satan on the cross, the grave could not hold it. All of that is affirmed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection proves everything that the Bible says about Jesus. It's an undisputable fact in literature, both secular and Christian, that Christ rose from the dead. But we are called to believe on it, to attest it in our heart, to say, yes, I will stake my life on what the Bible says about Jesus. We're not called simply to believe the fact of the resurrection. We are called to affirm it in our hearts. And when we affirm it in our hearts, we say yes to everything that Jesus says about himself and everything that God says about him. And that's salvation. That's receiving the righteousness of Christ. And the second thing he says is that there's an external reality to it. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. What are we to confess? We're to confess that Jesus is Lord. Now again, that means a little bit more than just being able to say the words, Jesus is Lord. What it, there, there's, an, there's, there's also an affirmation of that or an attestation of that in our life because we say that Jesus is Lord and then we bring our lives under the Lordship of Christ. That's what it means to confess. To confess is to profess and to live your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is important to remember because the Bible tells us that this, the demons believe and tremble. The demons believe that Jesus is Lord. They've seen his power. They've seen his lordship. The demons believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They affirmed it in his ministry. They say, you are the Son of God. But they never submitted themselves to the lordship of Christ. And so when we make that confession or that profession that Jesus Christ is Lord, what is entailed in that is, in confessing that, is we submit to that and bring ourselves 
under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a public declaration of an internal change that has taken place where we say, I will now submit my life to Jesus Christ. I will live under his guidance. I will live under his authority. I will go where he tells me to do. I will say what he wants me to say. There's a story in the Bible about a young man, a very, very rich man, the Bible tells us about him. Not only did he have a lot of money, he had a lot of religion. As he's talking with Jesus, he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what, what is it that I need to do to be saved? And Jesus knew exactly what was going on in his heart. He says, I tell you what, this is, this is what you need to do. Sell everything that you have and follow me. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And what that text is telling us is that money was his God. That he didn't want to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ and let, uh, let Jesus control his life. He served money. He wasn't willing to make Jesus the Lord of his life. And so confess that Jesus is Lord is, is to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And then as you confess that, to say, and I will live under your guidance and your authority and your rule for my life. It's a submission to the fact that he is the king of kings. And the Bible actually tells us that one day, uh, in the not too distant future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as those knees bow and as those tongue confesses, tongues confess, they will recognize that Jesus is the authority over all things. So that's what it means to be saved. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You see what I mean when I say today that Jesus is near you? Jesus is near you right now today? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, he's on the tip of your tongue. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he's knocking at the door of your heart right here, right now. Can't get any closer than that. Right here, right now, you can move from death to life. You can experience and receive the righteousness of God, and you can be saved from eternal separation from God. There's a song. I love songs. If you've come here enough, you know that I don't really know the whole song. I just know lines from songs, and they pop into my head at the weirdest times. And I had one of those weird moments um, a week and a half ago, and it was that song, Right Here, Right Now, by Jesus Jones. I didn't know a lot about the song, so I went online and I looked up the lyrics, and I thought, wow, this is an incredible song. It was written at a crucial point in the history of the world in two spots, one in Russia. It was in the late 80s when perestroika was taking place, and that was, uh, some of you would remember, when Mikhail Gorbachev was head of Russia and there was an attempt to reform communism. It was, a, it was a massive change. Nobody saw it coming, and it had monumental impact in Russia. And just as the song was being released, it had only been out for a few months, just a few months later, the Berlin Wall came down. And so it was a song that was written sort of in response and in the cultural time uh, of, of great upheaval in Europe and in Russia. 
And the song goes, right here, right now, there's no place I'd rather be. Watching the world wake up from history, living in the decade when it seemed that the world could change in a blink of an eye. Amazing words. Right here, right now, I'd say for all of us, there is no place you'd rather be. Because your world can change in a blink of an eye today. And you can see history, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, come alive to you. And in a blink of an eye, your world can change. That's what the resurrection means for our lives. It's a moment in history that is before every one of us here today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, a historical event that took place in this world. And the gospel calls for a decision. It calls us to respond to this event in history. It calls us to commit our lives irreversibly to Jesus Christ, to, through faith, put our trust in him and receive this gift of righteousness that God gives to us through the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. For some here today... I don't know how many, but I'm sure there's a few. You've never heard of the righteousness of God before, the righteousness of Christ. These are foreign concepts for you. It doesn't fit your way of thinking. It doesn't fit the paradigm through which you walk through this world. Well, let me tell you a little bit of a story. In 1847, a Hungarian medical doctor, Ignaz Simmelweis, noticed that many women were dying after childbirth of childbed fever. After investigating the situation more closely, he started to suspect that somehow this was connected to doctors who came directly from autopsy to examine women after their birth. Simowise suspected that the doctors brought something on their hands that caused the childbed fever. And his suspicions were confirmed one day when, uh, during an autopsy, one of the doctors cut his finger and very quickly developed the same symptoms that the women had and then died of. And so he ordered the doctors to wash their hands in chlorine water. And after he did, the patient death plummeted. In spite of the clear evidence, though, of Simon Weiss's uh, that he was on to something, his colleagues in the hospital and around him and the larger scientific community didn't take him seriously. He was humiliated by them and growing, he grew increasingly bitter and erratic in response to their unwillingness to listen to what he was saying. Eventually, he was lured by one of his colleagues into an insane asylum. And when he tried to leave that insane asylum, he was beaten so severely that a few days later he died. In spite of the clear evidence that Semmelweis was on to something, his colleagues didn't take him seriously. Yet later, he was vindicated when the role of bacteria in disease became clear. The term, the Semmelweis reflex, was coined in honor of him as a warning to scientists. It refers to the rejection of new knowledge because it contradicts entrenched norms, beliefs, and paradigms. The Simowise effect does not just impact the scientific community. It impacts religious thinking. And the resurrection of Jesus can be something that's entirely new to you. What I would say is don't just reject it out of hand because it doesn't fit your current paradigm. Think about it. Wrestle it over in your head. Talk to others who've had, who have. What I encourage you to do is right now, right here, 
consider the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of you are wrestling in a different way as I've been talking for these last couple of minutes. You felt this need before. You, you've recognized the gap in your life between the righteousness of God and your own righteousness. You've been convicted of your sin, and you've been in many church situations. You've maybe grown up in church, and you've had some kind of connection or impact with this, uh, but you've never dealt with that struggle. You've never dealt with that tension. You've just always let it go and uh, gone out and, and sort of pushed it to the back of your mind. I'd say don't do that anymore right here, right now. Your world can change in the blink of an eye. History can wake you up. I was part of a funeral a couple weeks ago, a couple days ago. Funerals are amazing events. The Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. Because at a funeral, you're, you think about things that matter. You think about eternal things. And you're given an opportunity to think, is there more to life than meets the eye? Is there something that happens after death? Some of you here today may have been at a funeral recently. Maybe you've been, uh, um, a significant loss has confronted you in the last little while, and you've been thinking about this kind of stuff. You've been wondering in your heart, is there more to life than meets the eye? As you've been thinking about that, you know that your relationship with God is not as it should be. That somehow that distance is getting bigger and bigger. I want you to know that Christ is near you today, right here, right now, on the tip of your tongue, at the door of your heart. You can open up and say, Jesus Christ, save me. Come into my life. Don't go from here today with a troubled heart, saying to yourself, I need to do something about this. I need to think this through. I've, I've rejected this enough. I, I, I need to wrestle. I'll, I'll get to it later in the week. Don't do that. Circumstances may be such that you'll read something, you'll watch something, something will happen, your heart will become so hard that you'll never consider this again. Right here, right now, as you're wrestling with this, say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I confess him as my Lord and you will be saved. Finally, some of you might be here today and you might be saying, you know what? It makes a little bit of sense, but not yet. I'm young. I got the whole world ahead of me. I got this whole bucket list of things that I want to accomplish. It. And, and I know that if I, if I respond to Jesus as my Lord, then there's going to be a few restrictions that are placed in my path. And I really don't know if I want those restrictions. But, you know, I'll get to it later. After I've kind of done the things that I want to do, then I will get serious about my relationship with God and consider making Jesus the Lord of my life. Don't be deceived. Jesus was very clear. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. You get out, it's a broad path. And there are whacks of people on that path. And it's full of pleasure and it's full of joy and it's full of things that seem to satisfy the moment. But its end is the end, is the way of destruction. But Jesus says, the way to the hard, or the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. There's, there's never an assurance that when you're on that wide path that you will see the exit for the narrow path. The time to choose the narrow path is right here, right now, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ.
Will you not confess Jesus as your Lord today? Will you not in your heart say, I believe that God raised him from the dead? And the Bible is absolutely trustworthy. It says, if you do that, you will be saved. Amazing. That's the joy that we have been singing about today of life everlasting. I'm going to pray. I'm not into standing or hands or anything like that, but I'm going to pray, and in the quietness of your heart, if right here, right now, you're ready to respond to Christ, I'm going to invite you to just pray along with me and enter into life everlasting right here, right now, today. Father, we come into your presence today, and I thank you for the historical reality of the resurrection. It is such a momentous historical event that not only has implications for the history of the material world, but that has implications for the spiritual eternal world. And so for some, Father, who have come here this morning and all of a sudden they realize that they want to experience salvation. They want to receive the gift of your righteousness that we receive through Jesus Christ. They want to be saved. I pray that they will pray with me. Lord Jesus, I confess my waywardness and my lack of righteousness. I understand that sin has infected we with a mortal disease of which I have no hope of healing except through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I confess Jesus as my Lord. I believe that you, God, raised him from the dead. I ask that you give me new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
guys look so nice. Can you hear me? Ooh. No, no, I I'm can't not hear surprised. you at all. Not, we're not on. Will not washes on. up really well. Not on. A fiddle. Negative. Okay. Nope. Nothing. Nothing Can you hear me house. through the monitor? Oh, choir. Not yet. Okay. Scott, when you get a secchi. Plugging stuff in. I'll be darned. When we add power, we got power. Yeah. Check it, check it. The monitor uh, needs to, my vocals need to be turned up for the choir, please. I can Morning. hear Lori, yeah. I can't hear Lori. Hey, uh, Scott. Check one, check two. One, two, one, two. It's probably coming at their knees, that's why. Maybe. Uh, don't blast them out too much. Can you hear a little bit? And I'm in the house a bit. We are in the house. Yeah? One, two, one, two. Is it tilted enough? All right. Okay, just want to start with a, a quote from Martin Luther. Music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. Thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. The devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles, flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. Singing God's word helps us put on our spiritual armor. So let's pray. Um, Father God, we do put on our spiritual armor as we are singing. We put on our breastplate of righteousness. As we are rejoicing, we put on the helmet of salvation and we carry the sword of truth before us so father as we proclaim your word back to you would you gird us with this armor would you sustain us the hearts of those that are about to come here today uh, lord would it be fertile soil where the seed of your word would be planted and nourished lord we give this day to you indeed it is a day that you have made and we rejoice and are glad in it in jesus name Amen. So Pastor Paul is going to give the invocation. We can play underneath him.
something. We need a paramedic in a minute here. What happened? She wasn't. I needed this. I had no input. That's uh, her, her mic input. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we can slow that down just just a, a titch. Yes, good energy and stuff like that, but we'll just slow it down just a titch. We're just going to wait to make sure Margaret, are you plugged in? Are you ready? Now turn down. What do you need turn down? Okay. Everything. Awesome. Okay. Okay, let's work on the transition there. We're going into a different time signature, so. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. This song is taken from Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28.
Pardon me? They can, they can do Saw that. with me. Yeah. <laughs> Hillary, on the back screen, um, the choir is missing the lyrics for the chorus. Okay, she's on it. <laughs> okay, um, remembering that when we go from the chorus into the ending, he is risen. We're just doing the chorus once, and then we're doing the ending. Two times through. Is everybody hearing what they need to before we go on? Okay, hearing what we need to? We're going to go through, through this song. Um, choir is going to practice uh, their song, just so you're aware, Scott. Make sure that we have um, pulpit mic and choir mics EQ'd um, as best we possibly can while they're practicing. Um, and then we'll stay up here, team. And then Lucas, maybe after we, we do the song after the choir, if you can just go down and make sure that we're... We're um, Sorry, after, the choir song? after the choir song when when we sing um, that one. Thank you, Christ alone. Can we work on the tr tr uh, transition there? We're just one more time. Let's do the chorus of Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, and then the two endings outro, and then into My Redeemer lives. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four. Christ is risen. He's risen. Proclaim, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. You can get that pattern established right away, Tobe. Get that kick going.
playing the outro chords through. The outro chords have to be done in progression, two times through. Trash can. Trash can. Oh, and then Pastor Barry get, comes up and, and, and prays. That's going to be quite a... <laughs> it's perfect. It's a very reverent moment. <laughs> Want to try the outro one time? Okay, bear with us. Okay, let's, let's just do the uh, outro chords then, or do you want to do the last time through the My Redeemer lives? That would be good too. Okay, one, two, three. My Redeemer is my Redeemer is my Redeemer is my Redeemer is He lives. Oh, 
do is we'll just do um, uh, verse 4 and then we'll practice the last song um, because we've got to get going. Okay, let's just do um, verse 4 and then we'll go through the last song to make sure we're all in the, we're okay. Yeah, really. Okay. Just verse four. With the tag. No power of hell, no scheme of man. Lord James is all... Thank you. 
Let's do the last after the message. Drums in verse 2.
intro, guys. I don't know, Tobe, can you hear me? Um, after Pastor Paul does the benediction, we'll start, oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, right from, right from the top, okay? And just okay. play underneath, Paul, you guys play underneath, Paul praying and anticipate God's move. We'll just follow the Holy Spirit. Okay. okay. I think we'll play that outro. Pardon me? That'll be our song as our outro. Scott Thompson to the desk, please. <laughs> to the office.
tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Of the 